Let me hear a big loud, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Let me hear a hallelujah. hallelujah. This is the one day we cannot be Baptist. Okay? So just do it. It's okay to let out a hallelujah every once in a while. That's in the Bible, you know. You can say it. We are, um, man, I'm super excited this morning. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that you've chosen to be here this morning. Today represents the greatest of all days in the history of the world. This is the greatest of all days. Jesus, the Son of the living God, delivered the final fatal blow to death and gave all who believe in him the hope of life beyond the grave. That is why we celebrate this morning. And, and I don't know how you wake up on Easter Sunday or if there's anything that you personally do to celebrate before you come into this place, but um, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a music nerd. I love great music, and everybody knows um, that I have a few people that I extremely love, and, um, and I know I talk about Andrew Peterson all the time, but there's a song uh, that Andrew wrote several years ago called High Noon, and he, he talked about his love for westerns and how... Um, you know, in a good Western, the good guy always comes out to face the bad guy in the town, the middle center of town at high noon. And, and so he wrote a song called High Noon, and it's, and it's about the resurrection, and it's so awesome. And I want to read some of the lyrics to you. It says, High noon in the valley of the shadow, when the deep of the valley was bright, you realize that the valley of the shadow of death at high noon, the sun is directly over the valley, and there's no shadow in it at high noon. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> when the mouth of the tomb shouted glory, the groom is alive. So long, you wages of sin. Go on, don't you come back again. I've been raised and redeemed. You've lost all your sting to the victor of the battle. High noon in the valley, in the valley of the shadow. That's, that's what this morning is. It's, it's high noon. It's when the valley of the shadow of death, there's no more shadow. The resurrection gave, shone so much light that there was no more shadow. It was gone. The, Dan, the band, the choir, these guys have already provided a, an incredible musical soundtrack for our worship this morning. But I want us to spend just a few moments this morning looking into the scriptures at just one small piece of the story of the resurrection that the Gospels tell us. Uh, but this is a piece that I hope is going to bring someone some hope this morning. Because I, I realize that even on a day like today, when, when there's so much excitement and joy, there may be some people here this morning who's really struggling. Some folks who are really struggling to find real hope. And I hope that this morning, um, that, this, that this word from the Lord is going to bring you encouragement. I want us to look in Mark's gospel today. I want you to find Mark chapter 16. Uh, Mark's account of the resurrection. And we're going to begin in verse 1. And while you're finding that, I, um, I started a tradition a few years ago where I wanted to reflect on the Holy Week and, and Good Friday and the resurrection. I, I wanted to do something for my own, for my own sake to, to help me really experience uh, the story, and I started writing um, sort of a biblically-based fictional narrative 
that I would share on Facebook. And, and I, would, I, would ma- I would write these narratives to go in real time with how the events of Good Friday uh, rolled out. And, and some of you um, have read those and been a part of those. And, and um, I've gotten lots of encouragement. Some people actually asked me before Good Friday, are you going to do that again? Because I really enjoy reading those. And, and I'm grateful for that, but, um, but I really didn't do it for anybody else to begin with. I, I did it for me. To, uh, but I wanted to follow the events of those days. And, if you've, and, and, I, and I did that again this year. And if you follow those posts, you know that the overwhelming emotion of Jesus' followers when they laid his broken, beaten body in that tomb was hopelessness. And they expected Jesus to do um, great things. But all of that expectation ended brutally on that hill when all the dreams that they had for the kingdom Jesus was going to bring died. It's as if when Jesus hung on that cross on that hill, every dream and every hope for what he was going to do died with him on that cross. In their minds, in their hearts, it was hopelessness. When they laid him in the tomb, they expected Jesus to do what all dead people do. And that's nothing. They expected him to stay dead. They didn't wake up on this morning like you did. They didn't wake up on this morning like we all did. It was going to be another day of hopelessness for them. And it's, it's difficult for us to really grab hold of that. I say it all the time. We've, we've become victims of the spoiler when it comes to this story. We all know how it's going to end. And so I, I think it takes away some of the power when we wake up on Easter morning and realize he's not dead anymore because we saw it coming. We knew it was going to happen. But they didn't. And I want us to think about that this morning as we read the scriptures and focus on, I want us to read part of Mark's account, and then I want us to focus on one small little piece of that narrative for just, just a moment. In chapter 16 of Mark, verse 1, from the NIV, it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. Don't you love it? Don't you love it how angels just show up and tell you not to be afraid? I would have been scared to death. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Now the women that morning rose early with the intent of going to the tomb 
finding Jesus' dead body, remaining in the tomb. And the spices, it says that they were bringing spices with them. And, and I want us to, to think about, there were, there were a few reasons that they were prepared with those spices. One, it was, it was a practical thing because the Jews did not practice embalming. They did not embalm dead bodies. So the spices were, were literally, the main function of those were to counteract the odor that would soon set in as the dead body began to decay. If you remember the story of Lazarus, and when Jesus arrived on the scene there, Lazarus' body had been dead for four days. And when Jesus says, take me to where he is, and they took him, and he, said, and he told them to roll the stone away, the first thing the women said were, was, Lord, the smell will be really, really bad because he's been dead for four days. Um, these spices and oils and things were, were meant to counteract that or at least lessen the potency of the smell um, that would come over that body. So that was one reason. They were, they were going to, to do that because that was customary. That was for everyone. But also it, was a, it wasn't just something they did just because of the smell. It was an act of affection for Jesus. It was part of the mourning process. It was their last act of care for Jesus' body. And customarily, most of all of these things would have been done prior to him going into the grave. But if we think about the timeline of events, it was customary for, for loved ones in that day to be buried within eight hours of their death. So the family only had a really short time after a loved one died to be able to, to spend time together, to, to see the body, to, to say their goodbyes. Eight hours at the most before, before that smell and that decomposition began to, began to take place, especially in such a, a hot climate that they lived in. So given that Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross around the time of 3 p.m. for us, and his body needed to be laid in the tomb before the observation of the Sabbath began at sunset, that really would have only given them three to four hours to take him down from the cross, prepare him properly, and have him, his body in the tomb for burial. And so it, it's quite understandable that perhaps the ladies were going back on this day because they didn't finish. Maybe... They had, to, they had to hurry to get his body in the tomb so that before sundown so that they wouldn't be guilty of, of defiling the Sabbath. They wanted to honor that. And so it could have been the process, part of that process of taking care of his body and using the spices. Now, it wasn't complete. And so after the Sabbath, they knew that as soon as sunrise came on Sunday morning that they could, that Sabbath was over. And that would allow them to go and finish what they had started. So all the gospel writers give their accounts of this story. But Mark gives a small detail that none of the other gospels give. And it's in regard to the conversation that the ladies have on the way to the tomb. It, it may seem insignificant, but I think for this morning it's meant to really challenge our perspective. If you look back at verse 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Very early on the first day of the week... Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, 
who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Have you ever been in the midst of doing something or you were making plans to do something and then it seems like in the middle of doing it, you realized you couldn't because maybe you didn't have the right tool or you didn't have the right material? Um, (laughs) I I was asking Kim actually this morning, I was telling her about how my sermon was going to go and she reminded me of a story. (laughs) Um, There was one night in our house that um, we had a, in our shower in our bedroom, um, had a had a leak. It was just a, a real constant drippy kind of leak, and and so I, I I don't know what came over me, but I had the I had the feeling that I'm going to fix that thing. I th- I think I can figure that out. So um, mind you, it's probably 9:30 p.m. and I decide for some reason I'm going to start taking our bathroom shower apart. So I go get I go get screwdrivers and. And wrenches and stuff, and, and I start taking that thing apart. Well, what happened, if, if any of you guys that have ever done anything with plumbing, or ladies, there's, there's like this little valve that's in the handle that when you turn it, it releases the water. Into, well, what happened was that valve uh, was broken, and it was bad. So to fix it, I needed a new one. But by now, it's like 1030. Home Depot ain't open, y'all. I can't go get this little place, this little bitty plastic valve that might have cost two or three bucks. It's all I needed to fix it. Just pull the old one out, put the new one in. Everything's good. But it's 1030 at night, and, and I can't fix it. So now I've taken the whole shower apart. <laughs> and I've had to turn off the water to the house to keep water from going everywhere. And now I've taken it all apart. I don't have the pieces to fix it, so we have to go, like, all night and the next morning with no water. And this is when, uh, was it Ben? Ben was a baby? Or Rob? It was Rob. I lose track of them. There's so many. Um, <laughs> but they, like, it was like we needed water to put in the formula, to mix up, to have all, and we didn't, I had to turn all the water off. It was either turn the water off or have a, a flood in the bathroom. So, um, so I don't do plumbing at 10 o'clock at night anymore, ever. But I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that where you, you had good intentions for doing something and you're, and you're even in the midst of doing it and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I, like here's, here's a roadblock, here's an obstacle, something that, that's going to keep me from, from being able to finish. And I think maybe what was happening in that moment was they had one of those moments. They get their stuff, they get their, the spices, they get everything they need to take care of Jesus' body because the thing that's on their mind and heart is Jesus. Their love for him, their desire to honor him in his death. And they get their stuff together and as they're going, like one, of, one of them, it just dawns on them. You know what, when we get there, that stone is in front of that tomb. And we're not going to be able to get in. It would have taken, at the, at the very least, two or three strong guys to be able to get that thing rolled away. Because in, if you do research of, of tombs in that day, there's the opening. And then in, in some tombs, we're, we're not sure if Jesus' tomb was this way. But the stone was in a, a groove that was cut out in front of the entrance. And when it was rolled over 
the entrance, it actually rolled down an incline. So the entrance was down here, and the stone would, would begin up here, and as it was rolled over, it went down. So to move it out of the way to get back in, you not only had to roll it sideways, but sideways up a slight incline. So it was not something that these ladies would have been able to do by themselves. So they realized that. They say, who's going to move the stone? We're going to get there and we're going to be stuck because we can't move it. If they were aware of the guards that had been placed there the day before to guard the tomb, it, it would have been pretty safe for them to assume that the guards were not going to help them do it because they're... Their job was to keep it sealed and make sure nobody got in. But that gives us a little bit of insight into their emotional state. They were obviously still in great mourning and so intent on honoring Jesus in this way that their minds just overlooked an obstacle that was very obvious. But this is the part that is what I want us to see this morning. Are you ready? Once they realized that there was no one there to move the stone, they kept walking anyway. I'm pretty sure that most of us, had we been halfway to the tomb and realized, oh, there's no way for us to open it, we would have picked up our stuff and turned around and started walking back home. But they didn't. They kept walking. And you think, why in the world would they keep walking? Because there's no way, they know that there's no way to get in. <laughs> there is a great, great lesson of faith in this one small detail of this story. A lesson about the faith that these women had that I hope will teach us this morning. And there's three things that I want us to, to, to pull from this, from this small detail in this story. Here's the first one. Their desire to be faithful was greater than their obstacles. Their desire to be faithful was greater than the obstacle that was in front of them. Um, they didn't allow what they thought they were going to find to keep them from wanting to do what they had set out to do. How quickly and how easily do we let our desire fade when we anticipate an obstacle in serving Jesus? How easily do we anticipate an obstacle that we've not even seen yet but because we're so sure that that's going to be there, it stops us in our tracks. In our obedience. In our service. You know what that tells us? This, this detail in this story tells us something of the magnitude of these ladies' love for Jesus. Because it didn't... Even they, though they knew there was an obstacle, they didn't keep walking. The truth is how easily and quickly we will let our desire fade tells us something about our own love for Jesus. 
We don't love Jesus with our words. We love Jesus with our faith and our faith that is in action. We don't love Jesus with our t-shirts. We don't love Jesus with the stickers on the backs of our cars. We don't love Jesus with our Instagram pictures with scripture captions under them. We love Jesus with our actions. And when we anticipate a problem or we anticipate something that might be an obstacle in what we do, if our love for Jesus is too weak, we quit. We may want to say that we love Jesus, but if our love for Jesus doesn't keep us walking, then maybe we really don't love him as much as we say we do. Their desire was greater than their obstacles. The second thing is their desire to be faithful led them to faithful action. That's, that's what we've said. That faith, Paul, James, and, and, it, James says that faith without works is what? It's dead. It doesn't, faith that doesn't act, that doesn't lead to action is empty. Their faith kept them walking. Listen to this. Their faith kept them walking when what they knew told them there was no reason to keep going. What they knew, what they saw in front of their face, said to them, there's no reason to keep going. You should just go home. But their desire to be obedient, their desire to be faithful, their love for Jesus was so great that they were willing to step beyond even the facts that they knew in front of them and to continue to put their faith and their love for Jesus into action by continuing to walk to the tomb. Faith reminds us that there's always something that we don't know. What, what if they had decided to turn around and go home? What would they have missed they thought they knew the stone would be in front of the door, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. It was gone. It was rolled away. The door was open. But they thought, they knew when they got there, it's going to be closed up and we're not going to be able to open it. Faith reminds us that there's always something that we don't know. Folks, God is always working in all of our circumstances. Every circumstance. Not just the good ones. But he's also active and working in the bad. I think we should repent as people of God. For only believing that God is at work when good things are happening. Because that's what we do. When, when things are great. When circumstances are good, when all of our tombs are wide open and the stones are all rolled away, everything is great. And we love to praise and glorify Jesus for it. And we talk about how good he is and how, oh, he's always good. He's always at work. But you know what? He's always good even when the stone's in the way. He's always at work. He's always doing something. 
And sometimes we don't know what he's doing. We can't see what he's doing because it's invisible. And sometimes he may not even want us to know what he's doing because the time's not right. So our faith has to continue to lead us into action. Our desire to be faithful has to lead to faithful action. Just like it did with these ladies. And then the third thing is their faithful action placed them in the middle of God's action. That's good, y'all. Their action put them in the middle of God's action. Their faithfulness to do what they knew they were supposed to do put them in the middle of what God was doing. Because had they chose to turn around and go home, they would have missed it. They wouldn't have been able to experience, they would not have been the first ones to experience the resurrection. You know why so many of us here can sit here and say, you know, I've never seen God do any kind of great miracle before. I've never seen God do anything huge like that in my life or, or, or even in anybody else's. Maybe the reason we feel that way is because we stop walking. If you stop walking, you don't get to the open tomb. We miss seeing the miracles of God in our life because somewhere along the way our faith falters and we decide that it's not worth it to keep going. There are so many miracle stories in the life of Jesus and the Gospels that it was obedient action of the individual that unlocked the experience of Jesus' miracles. If you look in John 9, the, with the man who was born blind. You remember that story? Jesus knelt down, he spit, in the, he spit in the dirt, he made mud, and he smeared it on the man's face. And what did he say to him? Did he just say, you're healed? Nope, he said, go wash. Go to the pool of Siloam, wash the mud off your face. And it was after he got up and went and washed that his eyes were opened. His obedience to Jesus, his action, unlocked that miracle that Jesus was given to him. In Mark 5, as Jesus was going to Jairus' daughter, Jairus had, had called for Jesus because his daughter was dying. And as he was on his way, there was a woman, the woman with the issue of blood, who reached out and just grabbed the edge of his robe. And she was healed. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. It was her action. It was the fact that she, she knew that if I could just, if I could just grab hold of just the, just the hem of his robe, he can deliver me. He can heal me. In Luke 17, Jesus has an encounter with ten men with leprosy. And they all come to him and they say, Lord, you can heal us. And he doesn't heal them right there on the spot. He says to them, go show yourself to the priest. Because for them to be 
pronounced ceremonially clean, they would have had to have been seen by the priest. And so while they're standing there with leprosy, still body still covered in sores and sickness, Jesus says, go, go make your way to the priest. Start walking now. And it says after they started walking, they were healed. There's so many other stories like that that will never experience the miracle that Jesus has for us, for our church, for our community, unless we obey. Unless we obey, we'll never see it. So on that morning, the ladies perceived there was an obstacle, but they didn't let the obstacle stop them. And then when they got there, they found out that God had already taken care of the obstacle. He'd, he'd taken care of it. It was the stone wasn't in the way anymore. And so this morning, I don't know what the obstacle is for you, but I really feel strongly that on a day like today, there there are maybe people here who just aren't living in the day to day presence of the risen Jesus because somewhere along the way the thought or idea of your stone caused you to stop walking to where Jesus is. Somehow the, the anticipation of that obstacle in your life has caused you to stop walking. It's paralyzed you spiritually. And so maybe today for you, being here may be those first steps that you've been able to take in a long time toward where Jesus is. Because you've allowed an obstacle to stop you. Folks, what I never want as your pastor, I never ever want this church to be an obstacle to somebody getting to Jesus. And if we're not careful, it can be. There may be people here this morning, this is the first time you've been here in a long time because there was an obstacle in your way. And the obstacle may have been here. It may have been outside of here. It may have been in your personal life. It may have been in your finances, in your family. But I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter how small or how big the stone is that's keeping you from experiencing the risen Jesus. It only matters how far you're willing to walk to see if he'll move it. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. You think it's too big for you to move. Absolutely it's too big for you to move. But if you'll keep walking, if you'll keep walking toward it, I'm pretty sure that he wants to move it. Because he doesn't want anything between you and him. And what the story of the resurrection tells us this morning is that he can, he wants to, and he will move that stone because Jesus is Lord over everything. Every circumstance, every obstacle, every stone. He's the Lord over it. He can move it. He wants to move it. And 
he will. 